The authors of the great book Freakonomics actually wrote a second book, which is Think Like a Freak. And I really, really enjoy this book because it's it's really about thinking apart from the crowd, breaking away from a lot of conventional, quote unquote, wisdom. And authors basically Levitt and Dubner, one of them, I think Dubner, I listened to on Rogan, very interesting guy, wrote this great book. And we're really going to be diving into it today, talking about a lot of how conventional wisdom leads you astray, leads you kind of away from where you should be going. And a lot of this is just kind of boosted by eco chambers and monkey see, monkey do type thinking. So when we try to solve problems, we are unconsciously being guided by conventional beliefs and societal norms. The issue is these ideas are often wrong. This book focuses on basing your thoughts and decisions on statistical evidence rather than conventional wisdom. That's kind of some of the notes that I take. So basically in this new book series that I'm doing where I'm just rapid firing books, you know, I'm, I'm doing around, uh, you know, I'm at a book a day pace. I read about a book a day and I, I take extensive notes at the beginning of all these chapters and potentially in uh, a couple more episodes think maybe in season five of this Modern Academy podcast, I'll start doing the visual. You know, we've we've just been doing the audio. We've dabbled with YouTube. We haven't gone full in with YouTube. But I think when I start doing the video, um, that will help a lot because you can see basically how I take notes, how I do it using the uh, index of books and basically using utilizing all the tools and really trying to extract the lessons out of the books. A lot of people with books get caught up in the semantics, you know, get caught up in the supporting evidence. And authors like Malcolm Gladwell and these guys, uh, you know, Stephen Levitt and Stephen Dubner, um, what they do is they have a concept, obviously, in each chapter, and all the concepts tie together to form, kind of support their hypothesis or hopefully bring some insight. And what a lot of people do is, is they get caught up and the basically the authors always provide evidence you know they they provide either anecdotal evidence or story evidence and you, typically these things are just examples of how the concept works and if if you get caught up in reading those it'll really really slow you down it's important to to kind of speed read those sections and be able to modulate between deep reading and speed reading and deep reading, meaning when they're talking about the big picture things, deep reading there, but then when they do the supporting evidence, like stories, being able to speed read there. Because the stories, again, are just the supporting evidence. So I, this kind of ties in, interestingly enough, with this, I, this kind of conventional wisdom that you, know, you should read at the same pace every single page of the book. No, that's how a lot of people forget a lot of things. You know, I've talked with a decent amount of people, and I used to be this way, where you read a book, and 25 pages in, you pause for a second, and you go, wait, I don't remember anything that I just read. Well, that's why it's important to actually take notes and try and extract lessons out of this book, these books. And that's why I really find doing this is basically building up assets for myself, mental assets. You know, I kind of break up um, different asset classes into physical, um, business assets, and then intangible digital assets, knowledge assets, personal assets, things like being able to control your own mind through meditation, 
being able to be mindful, not not being able to be distracted and in hyper focus. And and that to me that ties in with books because if I can extract these lessons and pass them down to um, you know generations to come, my my uh, grandchildren and hopefully my kids, um, you know it's it's basically giving them a step step up. And you know what's the difference between a poor man's house and a rich man's house? A library. It's interesting. So. Continuing on, never blindly trust experts. Most people regurgitate things they hear to look informed. This is a flaw in all humans, aimed at boosting the ego, whether we consciously know it or not. There is great value in admitting you don't know something, as you increase awareness of the things you don't know, allowing room for growth. And this is really why you should be wary of self-proclaimed experts as they will bluff like they know something and save face. So this is vital. You know, you always have to admit you don't know something. And, and saying, in, instead of pretending like you know a concept or know a word, just go, I don't know. I love saying I don't know. You know, that's, that's one of those things. I'm definitely not a self-proclaimed expert. All I am is kind of a basically trans, just a, a bridge in between these great thinkers and my listeners, you know, here at the Modern Academy. And I just hope to convey this, these ideas, this, this wisdom down and uh, pass it along. And that's, that's really what I try and do. And I always admit when I don't know something, you know, I try not to speak from a place where I have zero idea on the information. That's why I read a lot from books. I read a lot from great people and try and do what um, the, the great book, which is Where Good Ideas Come From by Stephen Johnson, I really try and do what he preaches, which is utilizing this basically raw materials, raw ingredients. You know, the, if you have two chefs in a room and you tell them, you know, who can make the best soup? And the one that's been a chef for 20 years says me and the other one who's never really cooked that much in his life, just made basic stuff, says eh, probably him. But then you put them in a room and you give the chef that has so much experience two ingredients, you know, bone broth and noodles, and you give the other one a myriad of great ingredients, different spices, different meats. Well, the one with more raw ingredients is probably going to make the better soup because the other one just doesn't have enough tangible ingredients. So the idea with that book where great ideas come from is to increase the amount of raw ingredients. And, and the interesting thing is it doesn't have to be just your domain area of expertise. So Often we get kind of caught up in the weeds of just, you know, wherever you're focusing on. Like if you're just doing marketing or if you're just doing accounting or if you're just doing sales, you, you're you so focused in that area, you get tunnel vision. And that's why it's vital to read other things. You know, increasing the raw ingredients, kind of becoming eclectic, becoming a renaissance man or woman. And it's, it's very, very vital you do this to increase innovation and to increase the new ideas basically coming out of your head. It's kind of this, you can think of it as the more raw ingredients you, you understand, the more things you learn, the more places you go, the more people you talk to. It's kind of like adding more ingredients to that stew, that soup. Then you kind of when you're, when you're contemplating it, when you think about these things, you're stirring that soup together, trying to think of new ideas. That's how uh, Phil Knight actually created Nike. If you read the, the book Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, it's very interesting, you know. He he didn't just come up with this idea on his own. 
he saw that sneakers in foreign countries were, were becoming really popular and he brought this idea to the United States. So when approaching a large problem, what's important is looking past public discussion. A lot of what public discourse tells you is, is the wrong thing. Same with what the media tells you. And focus on identifying the root cause, then work to redefine the problem altogether. So typically when you can find the root cause, you can understand why the effect is the way it is. And most people have a mistaken view of cause and effect. Meaning, you know, the media likes to focus on just one aspect of the situation, like race, like, um, you know, certain injustices. But it's, it's vital that you actually look beyond that and go to, to the actual root cause of an issue and, and really dive into redefining the problem. Vital. So what's next, it's very, very important that he talks about is confronting the obvious and always being curious. And adults tend to fixate on one factor, even if it is not the actual issue or the important cause of the situation. And this is why thinking like a child, yes, you heard me right, thinking like a child can be so beneficial. Kids are actually more open-minded and see things from different angles. And this can really help their insight, their intuition, and their creativity. This is why they're always curious. And this is kind of the idea of remaining curious throughout your life. A lot of people kind of lose this curiosity, lose this childlike sense of wonderment. And it's, it's so important that you never lose this because it's, it's one of the best things you can have in your life. And when trying to solve problems, what's important basically is obviously beginning with the end in mind, as um, Stephen Covey says in the book of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that's one of them. And that book has truly stood the test of time. That's one of the, I think, fundamental books. Very, very powerful talking about basically changing your paradigm, how you see the world, and realize that if you begin with the end in mind, you'll have a a basically bigger step up than most people. Because what you do is you kind of zoom out in your telescopic lens of life. You zoom out and you can kind of look at this bird's eye view of the situation. And that's why when trying to, trying to solve a problem, taking a step back and looking at how incentives are driving human behavior is so important because then you get to understand the psychology of the situation, why people act the way they do. And then you can hopefully use game theory, basically trying to predict your opponent's next move. And you go, okay, if I understand the incentives at play, if I understand the psychology a little bit better, then I'm able to have a step up in game theory. And this will give you a better perspective on why people are acting peculiar. Always look at biases and underlying incentives first. Very, very important. And a great book on this, by the way, is Robert Robert Cialdini's book, Influence. And again, a lot of these books, I talked about this with the four-hour work week this morning. A lot of these books, uh, the names are deceiving. You know, the names are... um, kind of throw people astray because a lot of people it's actually true the old saying which is never judge a book by its cover um uh looking at the back cover is always helpful but uh the the front cover typically is is not that informative the name you know a book like uh um you know seven habits of highly effective people or the four hour work week or influence they may sound cheesy you know, they may sound kind of woo-woo or 
just like their tactics, but they, they have such interesting underlying principles and the authors are such great men that they, they really um, dive into these different concepts in an interesting way. And when you understand cognitive biases and incentives at play, you can set psychological strategic traps to reveal motives and bad intentions. And game theory and teaching your garden to weed itself is basically a concept that they went over on um, page 142 and 143 if you have the soft cover version of this book. And this, this idea of teaching the garden to weed itself is basically the idea of, you know, how do you get someone to reveal their intentions by kind of setting these psychological traps? Well, first you have to understand basically the framework of the psychology of the situations by understanding the cognitive biases and by understanding the incentives. And how you do that is beginning with the end in mind and basically taking a look at these things taking an objective view, not not just getting caught up in your subjective view because your ego will get in the way. And one of the last concepts that I, I found very, very interesting, which is, uh, you know, the Concord fallacy. And this actually shows us that the conventional wisdom, a winner never quits, is another popular held belief that is greatly flawed. So what really what the Concord fallacy means is it was this uh, supersonic airplane project and basically, all these self-proclaimed experts <laughs> involved knew it wasn't economically viable. So they knew the project probably wasn't going to be completed in the way a lot of people um, viewed it. You know, they were kind of saving face to the public. And we talked about this earlier. You know, a lot of self-proclaimed experts have this bias because that you know, there's social pressure. There's all these different issues that they will basically want to save face. And especially with this project, since they had dumped so much money into it. Yet these experts actually hesitated to quit as they'd already invested so much time and money. And conventional wisdom led them to lose much more money than they would have if they would have quit sooner. So this is kind of the idea that um, the, the bucks the idea of, you know, winners never quit. Because what you have to understand is... There are already so many biases at play that, that tell you to not quit. So what's good is reframing things is this isn't quitting and this isn't continuing. This is an experiment. And an experiment rung too, ran too long is a failure. But if you realize that experiment has, you know, it's obviously not going anywhere. What you need to do is realize opportunity cost. And fully understand that basically your time and energy put in this place has, you know, um, you know, secondary consequences to your time, maybe if you put it somewhere else. And, and maybe it could be much, much more valuable. Maybe it could be two times valuable. Maybe it could be five times valuable. And understanding that, um, you know, sunk costs and social pressure really pull us away from this idea of opportunity costs. And really my synthesized lesson from this book was challenging popular beliefs leads to a better understanding of how things actually work. Understand that conventional wisdom is often flawed, yet gets applied, gets amplified rather, by cognitive biases and eco chambers. Thinking like a freak really means analyzing cognitive biases and incentives at play before forming an opinion. Then looking for the root cause of the problem and always staying curious. 
Basically, this allows for the inclination to think outside of the box. So highly recommend you pick up this book, Think Like a Freak. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And until next time.